0: Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. In the Gospel for this weekend, it opens up with Jesus making his way to Jerusalem. He's making his way towards his impending passion and death. Now he knows that, And now he begins to prepare his apostles for this tragedy. This is going to be shocking for the apostles, appalling. They're going to witness something that they never thought, never imaginable, seeing Jesus Christ dying on a cross. The apostles believe that Jesus truly is the Son of God. And yet, they're going to witness something that is just horribly awful, him dying on the cross. See, Jesus knows this. So he's got to prepare them. He's got to make them aware of what's going to happen. Now, he gives them this parable. The parable of the king who gives a feast for his son at a wedding. Now it's interesting. This parable it talks about God, God's persistence in inviting us into a life and loving relationship. And yet this parable is also or can be deeply personal to us. For centuries on end, God has invited people to us, and people have either accepted that invitation or rejected it. And it continues on in our day and age. The invitation continues to go out from God, to enter into a life and loving relationship with him, to practice a faith. And yet, we all know People in our families, maybe friends, co-workers, neighbors, they are Catholics, but they no longer practice a faith. They no longer attend Mass on a regular basis. And so it perplexes us. Why don't these people come to Mass? Why don't they practice a faith? In fact, just a few years ago, a Pew Research poll came out, and it says now that just here in the United States, 75% of all Catholics no longer practice a faith. They no longer come to Mass. So it begs the question, why? Why is that? Well, I'm sure there are many reasons. But I think in this parable that Jesus gives us today in the Gospel, it may help us to understand the answer to that question. Now notice, the parable takes place in the context of a wedding feast. Why is that? Well, because Jesus himself embodies the wedding between humanity and divinity. Jesus brings those two unions together. More to it, Jesus always refers to himself as the groom. We, the church, are the bride, wedded to Christ. See, that's the level of intimacy that God desires for us all. And most of us have been to weddings at some point in time in our life. We know it's a very joyous occasion. There's music, and there's food, and there's dancing, And there's a lot of happiness. Well, Jesus is trying to teach us that our communion with God should be one or a source of joy always. It should be like a banquet, like a wedding in which we lift our hearts up in joy. Now turn to the first reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah tells us that God's salvation is portrayed as a joyful banquet in which God is the host of that banquet. It says on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will provide for all peoples, a feast of rich food and choice wines, juicy, rich food and pure choice wines. What is he really getting at here? Well, God, whatever he gives us is always the best. If it's a meal, it's always the best of meals, the best of food, the drink. And why not? God gives us nothing but the best because he loves us so much. God's love for us, nothing but the best. His grace and his blessings he bestows upon us, nothing but the best. God holds nothing back. Well, what should we do? What should our commitment to God be? Well, we should hold nothing back either. We should give God the very best that we have, the best of our will and our intellect, the best of our time and our talent, our heart and our soul. God deserves nothing but the best from us. Now, Isaiah and Jesus are trying to tell us that the fulfillment of these celebrations first are present in our own midst. Every time we gather for Mass, we enter into a celebration, a banquet, in which we celebrate, we rejoice, are joyful with the communion of life and love that we share with God. That's why at the very beginning of every Mass, the priest will say, let us begin this celebration by recalling our sins, and then we launch into the confitier. The liturgy, the mass that we have, is considered a celebration. That's why we sing songs, actually. We raise our voices up in praise of God with our prayers, because it is a joyful banquet. It is one in which we receive a meal that is unlike any other in this world. It comes from heaven, the world to come. It is the best of all food the best of all drink, Jesus' body and blood. St. Thomas Aquinas always referred to the Eucharist as the panis Angelicus, the bread of the angels. What we eat at Mass is exactly what the angels are eating in heaven. And see, that truly is a banquet at the present level. But it also occurs at another level, the level of the future in which we all hope one day We will celebrate this great banquet with God and all the saints and the angels. And that will be truly a great celebration in heaven. Now, get back to the parable. The parable is one in which Jesus is trying to teach us something very important about salvation history. Now, it begins with the king. He throws a wedding for his son who's getting married. Well, the king is God the Father. The son is Jesus Christ, and the wedding is us being married to Christ, Christ marrying the church. Now notice, in the parable, in the story, all people are invited, which means the king wants to share his joy with all the people. Well, so does God, and we have been invited too. At the moment of our baptism, God invited us into a life of love and With Him. And we immediately seized it, we grasped upon it. And through subsequent sacraments, especially the Eucharist, we are drawn into a greater life and love with God. See, that's the reason why baptism is the second greatest event in our life, because it extends that invitation for a life and a love with God forever. And see, God wants that from us. God is so joyous. He so delights in our very existence, in our creation, He bubbles over. Therefore, He wants to share in that joy. Therefore, He constantly is inviting us, each and every day of our life, to share in His life and His love in many different ways. When we pray, when we go to Mass, when we perform the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, those are all ways in which God is constantly inviting us, drawing us closer and closer into his life, and to his love. Now, in the parable, how do the people first respond to the invitation? Well, it says they all refuse. Well, the king sends out a second invitation. It appears that this king is almost begging these people to come. And yet, the king is very persistent. He doesn't take no for an answer. How do the people respond now? Well, they ignore it. So, the king sends out a third invitation. The king is very persistent. Well, so is God. God is constantly sending out his invitation. His invitation just doesn't come once at baptism, take it or leave it. No, it comes every day of our life. Again, God wants to share his delight that he has in us, with us. So, it begs the question, why do these people in this parable refuse this invitation to go to a wedding? Well, it's the same reason why people refuse to believe in God. Throughout salvation history, Jesus is teaching us and the apostles. For centuries and centuries, God has sent out invitations to people, inviting them into a life and love with God. Some people have accepted it, like the apostles, and other people have refused it to the extent of nailing Jesus and crucifying him on a tree. Well, Jesus is trying to teach the apostles and prepare them just for that, and also for us, as we maybe have family members, friends, co-workers that now have no longer accepted the invitation, no longer practice the faith or go to Mass. Now, in the parable, the king sends, you know, invitation after invitation with servants. Well, So does God. God sends his servants, too. The first of them being the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. They had the same message. God is inviting us all into a life and a love with God. And yet, some people accepted it, others rejected it. Finally, he sends his only son. Jesus has the exact same message. God is inviting all of us into his life and into his love. Now, People have accepted it, the apostles and the disciples. Others have rejected it. That's why they hung him on a tree and crucified him. Well, it continues on in our day and age. We may know those people that no longer accept the invitation. They no longer practice the faith. They no longer come to Mass. But it's important for us to always accept that invitation. In fact, accept it each and every day of our life. Seize the opportunity. Don't dawdle. Don't second-guess it. And see, that's where it really comes to the priorities of our life. The invitation, yes, it's always there, but we've got to seize it, always. Now, notice at the very end of the story, the king finally sends out the servants to invite all people, even strangers. He says, Go out, therefore, into the main roads and invite to the feast whomever you find. The servants went out into the streets and gathered all they found, bad and the good alike. This is symbolic of Jesus' ministry. Jesus was constantly gathering people to them, whether it was Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, the righteous or the sinners. He constantly invited people. He drew people back to him. No one was excluded from the invitation. Well, this continues on in our church. This is why we embrace evangelization, to welcome people, especially those Catholics that have drifted away from the church. Go to them and say, hey, you know, we really want you to come back to the church. Your presence is missed. You know, The invitation should always be there so that the people recognize the importance of God's life and love in their life. But what's the great spiritual tragedy? People who hear the invitation, but they don't respond. They say, well, you know, I know I should go to Mass, but I've just got too many commitments right now. Maybe I'll go in a couple weeks or so. Or, you know, I'm just so busy with work and other things, uh, maybe in a few weeks I'll volunteer at the church. Well, I've always said the Catholic faith is a generation away from extinction. If we don't know the faith and practice it, there's no way we can pass it on to our kids. And so when our kids grow up, they're not going to know how to practice the faith and it becomes extinct. I've seen it happen in so many families. It is a tragedy. Now notice at the very end of the story, it has a very odd ending. When the king came in to meet the guests, he saw a man there not dressed in a wedding garment. The king said to him, my friend, how is it that you come here without a wedding garment? He was reduced to silence. Then the king said to the attendants, bind his hands and feet and throw him out into the night where there'll be wailing and grinding of teeth. Now you say to yourself, well, this guy did exactly what the king wanted. He accepted the invitation and he went to the wedding. And now he's being thrown out. It doesn't make any sense. Well, we have to understand weddings in the ancient world were far different from the weddings in our day and age. In the ancient world, weddings tended to last two, maybe three or four days. In our day and age, you go to the church, you go to the reception, the dinner, and you're home within a matter of three or four hours. It's over with. But if you accepted an invitation to a wedding in the ancient world, the next thing that you did, you went home and you packed a bag. And you packed it with at least two to three days worth of clothes. More to it, you packed nothing but the best of your clothes as a symbol of respect for your host as well as the bride and the groom. If you showed up with just sandals, a t-shirt, and a short, that was a symbol of great disrespect for your host. Now, what is Jesus really trying to teach us here? Well, first and foremost, the invitation from God is always there. We accept it. Good, that's very good. But we all now have to put on our best garment, the garment of conversion or transformation. Transformation. Paul puts it best in Galatians, in which he says, It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So we put on Christ. That's the garment we must wear now. See, we can't accept the invitation and remain the same person. The invitation into a life and a love with God requires change, a conversion. Herein lies the second great spiritual tragedy. We accept the invitation, but then we don't change well, we have to dress appropriately now that we have this loving and life relationship with God. A good spiritual litmus test that we should take from time to time, ask yourself this question, am I the same person I was five years ago, two years ago, maybe one year ago? If we can say, no, I'm not the same person. I'm a little bit more charitable, a little bit more forgiving, just, kind, and patient. Well, now you're growing into the image and likeness of God. For God was truly charitable, totally forgiving, completely just and patient. And see, that's the key. See, now now we've accepted the invitation, and now we're changing into the image and likeness that we are all created in. The parable today is about salvation history. The invitation is always there. We must always seize the opportunity, grab it, but I also know it requires a change in our part, but it's a change for the better, to grow in the virtuous life, to grow in a greater image and likeness we are all created in, the image and likeness of God. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.